Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Food bloggers, don't forget to check out the food blogging forum style community that we started over at forum.eatblogtalk.com. Finally, there's one place that we can all convene and talk and that isn't scattered all over Facebook. Here are the things that I am loving about it. It is free. It also allows for categorized discussions on all food blogging topics And there's a category for sharing successes, aka self-promotion. So no more holding back about discussing your big wins and things that you're promoting. Also, everything is in one single spot. So no hopping around from group to group. And there's an amazing opportunity to network and really get to know your fellow food bloggers in a single place. So come join the discussions that are going on over at forum.eatblogtalk.com. And I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. Don't forget forum.eatblogtalk.com. Okay, food bloggers, have you heard of Flowdesk, the new big email marketing rage? This is an amazing new option for managing your email subscriber list. It is super easy to use and it comes with gorgeous, intuitive drag and drop templates. And Flowdesk does not charge based on number of subscribers. So your monthly rate will stay the same from month to month. Everyone pays $38 a month or use my affiliate link to get 50% off and pay only $19 a month. You guys, this is a fraction of the price of other email service providers, and you'll be blown away by the beautiful and intuitive templates waiting for you inside. Visit eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources to grab your link. Flowdesk, the stunning new option for email marketing. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, the podcast made for you, food bloggers seeking value for your businesses and your lives. Today, I will be chatting with Karen Lee from drkarensleecom and we will talk about diet trends and food blogging. Karen is a retired chiropractor turned blogger and cookbook author. Her goal is to help people with food-related allergies and sensitivities to resolve their health issues with proper diet and stress management. Cooking should be fun and stress-free, so she uses the latest resources available, such as cooking gadgets like the pressure cooker and air fryer for simple but delicious recipes. This is a great topic to kick the new year off with, Karen, but first, I would love it if you gave us a fun fact about yourself. I play the piano. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's fun, but it's fun. Yeah, that's I've been playing since I was very little. My father thought I was going to go to Juilliard. <laughs> right. Surprise, dad. <laughs> but I hardly have any time to practice anymore. But I do try to, you know, maintain some of the things that I remember from childhood. So, yeah, I love when people take the time to invest in a instrument like the piano and the piano is just so beautiful so every time I come across a piano player I'm like oh that's amazing my oldest son or sorry my youngest son is nine and he is just starting to get into the piano and he loves it and he he's the one that goes to lessons every time he's like I hate lessons I'm not going but then he'll sit at home for two hours and play on the piano and 
I'm so happy that I have a kid that likes it because I oh, wish I had great. that. Yeah, yes. that's great. Keep going. Even if even if he complains, keep at it because I used to complain a lot. And I, in fact, I offer piano lessons to both of my kids. I have a son and a daughter and my son loves it and he still plays. My daughter, eh, not so much. She's into cooking actually. So, but my son loves it. He is in his 20s now and he de-stresses by playing the piano, which makes me really happy. <laughs> Yeah, I hope for that for my son someday too. I can already see where it's kind of a de-stressor for him. He just sits down and teaches himself a new song and I love it. Well, great to learn that about you. So let's move on to why you're here, diet trends and food blogging. As we all know, very acutely, food blogging revolves around that sustaining and also delicious thing that we all call food. There are so many different foods to focus on and so many different angles which is, I think, one of the main reasons that there's so much space in the world for food bloggers. So each of us has selected a food niche, and we have our own unique story to share about our niche, yet we're also trying to tap into what is trendy in order to get as much traffic as possible, to get as many eyes on our content as possible. And I just thought this would be a great time of year as we start 2020 to talk about diet trends. This is something that you know a lot about, Karen. So can you start off by talking to us about how diet trends play a role in food blogging, both from a blogger and a user perspective? Sure. Um, personally, the blog that I started was actually not related to food when I started it, but I switched to food because my children exhibited symptoms and signs of food-related allergies and sensitivities. So I switched from, actually, I was an environmental food blogger back in the day, but food is really related to environment as well, how we farm, how we grow our foods, what kind of pesticides and herbicides we put in our foods, and certainly things like glyphosate, which is a um, roundup that's applied to the food while they, uh, you know, grow food. So... It definitely translated into how the environment is affected. So when my kids started to exhibit symptoms, I researched more on how I can help my kids, obviously, but also what's going on in the world, in, in the food industry. And I come to find out that there's so many people whose health is affected by the types of food they're eating and what they should eat and what they should avoid. So I went on to find out what I can give my kids so that they can be healthier and come to find out that it is really an issue for a lot of people. So as I try to help my own kids, I come to find out that the topic of different types of diet styles. I mean, I hate to call it a diet style because we we have this stigma, right? Diet, you know, relating to weight loss or some kind of a weight type of issues, but it really isn't. Uh, specific diet styles can be applied to people, people's health and not just for their weight. So when you find out you know, whether it's your own personal lifestyle or your reader's lifestyle, it, when you find out the, the specific diet that works, then that's the kind of direction that you should, you know, follow for your blogging. I think it's really staying true to who you are, I think, transcends to, you know, success in blogging. So that's how I started. I mean, just from the personal experience. 
So you started out because of a need for your kids, and then that kind of turned into a little bit of a passion for you when you saw that it was actually an effective way to live and sustain yourselves. So I love that. And I think a lot of food bloggers go through that same evolution where they find something that really works for them or their families or their children, and then they incorporate that into their blogs. And I've seen that more and more. Like there's paleo blogs, there are vegan blogs, there are Whole30 blogs, keto blogs. I mean, every one of those, I I know I hate calling it a diet too, but like a food program or whatever you want to call it, they all have those followers and there's good reason for it because they're really helping people. So what do you think about when you finally find that thing that works for you Do you think that that makes you more authentic as you make recipes along that same theme for your readers? And how do you think that plays into how you are seen from a user's perspective? I definitely authentic. Like I said, I think if you're true to yourself and talk about topics that really affects you, I think that comes through your writing as well as your recipes, but also social media too. You can't have a you know, you can't have, again, I hate the term clean eating or healthy because like somebody just told me, broccoli is not healthy. Broccoli is dead. Right. So I think George Carlin said that at one point. And I think that's, that's so funny. true. Yeah, that's so true. And also what's healthy for one person could be poisonous for another person. So you can't really, you know, label all these food or diet styles with certain adjectives like healthy or clean eating. But when you are eating in a certain way and you display or you portray on social media and in your writing on other ways, it's really not going to be very, you know, convincing to people. So I think if you if you come from what you're doing and how you're living, I think it comes out more authentic, like you said. And also you become more of a authority in that field. So you can't talk about paleo if you're, you know, eating, let's say processed foods and junk food, or you can't be a baker if you don't know how to bake. So I hate baking because it's really hard to bake paleo baked goods that taste good, in my opinion. So when I do go off paleo and when I do give myself, I mean, I don't have any food issues. So when I do eat non-paleo foods that are, let's say, baked goods, I'd rather go all out and just have a really good piece of apple pie that's made with flour. (laughs) So I don't bake and I don't try to portray myself as a paleo baker. And when you go to my site, I rarely have any kind of, you know, baked goods on there because I don't think I'm an authority. So I think you have to be an authority in the in the recipes that you're developing. So I think it really does help if you live that lifestyle. What do you think about the bloggers who dabble in kind of both worlds. So like if you mostly adhere to a specific diet, but not all the time. So you post both, like let's say you mostly follow Whole30, but you also like to enjoy an indulgent treat once in a while. Do you think that is effective to dabble in both? Or do you think that people should just focus on one thing? Well, you know, we're humans, so we can't be 100% of one specific food. And I think most diet styles are, 
you know, they're guidelines. They're not laws. They're not rules. And you really can't follow it 100% of the time. So even things like paleo, there are gray areas. They're kind of ingredients or food groups that are kind of grayish. And that's how I follow. So, for instance, rice, potatoes, dairy are gray. Like some people really are very strict and they don't eat white rice. They don't eat white potatoes. They don't um, eat dairy at all. And then there are people who really have health issues and they cannot have any kinds of grains or high carb content. So they can't have white potatoes and they have dairy allergies and they really can't have any form of dairy or lactose. And basically it's the lactose and casein in dairy that they can't tolerate. So even if they wanted to cheat, they can't have it. So there are those people. So you can't really be everything and portray that in your blog. You have to be able to offer some options for those people who can eat, let's say, white rice or white potatoes. Whole30 premise is totally different from paleo. Yes, they have very similar food groups that they have to avoid, but Whole30 is limited to 30 days, hence the term Whole30. So you try certain uh, food eating styles for 30 days at a time. So right now, Whole30, a lot of the Whole30 groups are doing their Whole30 this month. Usually January, it goes on January, and I think there's another one in September. It really doesn't matter. There, I mean, those are sort of uh, suggested guidelines, but What's true across the board is that you do it for 30 days. And then afterwards, there is a food reintroduction phase afterwards so that you can slowly introduce the foods that you were not supposed to eat so that your body can kind of readjust. So the premise is different for Whole30. But for paleo, it's a lifestyle long-term you know, is, is a kind of choice that you have to make that will sustain you for as long as you want, basically. There is no term like 30 days or 60 days. It's flexible in that you can stay very strict or you can t- kind of try to see which foods can can be in- reintroduced permanently or you can try it and then if it still doesn't agree, then you can eliminate it totally. So it's it's a flexible type of thing. And same thing with some of the food groups. You can have it and see how you feel. And if you don't feel well, then you you know, take it out. If you think you can tolerate it, then you can have it. So like my family, we are Asian, so we tolerate white rice really well. So we eat white white rice, not every day, but we do eat it regularly. We don't eat white potatoes regularly. Dairy, some yes, some no. So it really depends on, on the person. So I think 80-20 rule is a good number if you want to, you know, kind of think of a number, but no, you don't have to have 100% strict paleo all the time because there really is no such thing as, you know, absolute list of foods or absolute way. Yeah. And I love that you pointed out that there are going to be people who need to live certain diets like for their whole lives who are like, you know, gluten intolerant or they have a health issue. And there's a big difference between those people and the people who are just seeking out health, you know, like to eat a little bit healthier. Right. There are people like celiac who absolutely cannot have gluten at all. So they can't have gluten. They can't have wheat. They can't have, you know, no gluten means they can't have barley. They can't have rye. 
And they really have to be careful, even oats, you know, oats in itself are gluten-free, but most of the time they're processed in the same factory that processes wheat and all the other grains. So you have to see the label that says gluten-free oatmeal or gluten-free oat or, you know, things like that. So people with really health issues cannot stray from that uh, strict diet style. But most people, if they're doing it because of allergies or sensitivities, and if they are doing better, let's say this year, they can, you know, try it out. My kids were mostly allergies and sensitivities. So I put them on a strict diet called, actually, this is even more strict than paleo, called GAPS, which is a gut and psychology syndrome diet. And I put them on this diet a few years ago when I started food blogging, and they are so much better. So they're able to tolerate gluten here and there. They're able to tolerate dairy here and there. And I'll tell you a story of how I started on keto and they were okay with keto. But the bottom line is you have to listen to your body and you have to see what you can tolerate. And I think when you're blogging, you have to make that fact, those facts very clear because somebody can come, you know, not everybody's going to follow you from beginning, right? So like, let's say you started your blogging career in 2010 and somebody might be picking up a recipe at 2015. So they don't know your full story. So they might not know why you're talking about certain ingredients that are not allowed, quote unquote, in this particular diet. So you have to explain in each blog post, I think, you know, this is for this kind of diet style, but you can substitute with this ingredient if you don't want to, you know what I mean? Like, so you have to explain, I think, in each blog post. I am so careful about what I say if I talk about a specific diet. So I did Whole30 a couple years ago and I loved it. I mean, it was great for 30 days and then, you know, I moved on. So during that time, I accumulated a few really good recipes. So I have them up on my blog and I feel comfortable writing about them because I actually lived it and I knew what was okay in the diet and I knew what was not but when it comes to other diets that I've never tried, I never label them because I'm so afraid that I would mislabel. And if somebody came to my website from, say, Pinterest, who's never visited my site before, wanting a true, authentic keto diet, I know nothing about the keto diet, so I don't know what I'm talking about. But, you know, and if I misrepresented that and made them sick or made them angry, I would just feel awful. So I am just so careful. So Whole30, I feel comfortable with. I obviously did that. So I know what exactly to say about it. My husband has a gluten sensitivity. So I know exactly what to look for for that. So I know I can speak about like what you can do to make a recipe gluten-free but those are the only two things I ever say. I never claim like, hey, this is a great paleo recipe. But, you know, if you dabble in it, I think you do need to know what you're talking about because you can't just put it out there like this is paleo, whole 30, keto, you know, like you can't put all the labels on it until you really, really know because you have to be careful about those people who do truly have allergies and sensitivities. It's kind of a scary line, you know, like you you just never want to make a claim and then upset somebody. Yeah, food is a very, I mean, food used to be fun and not really, you know, you don't have to worry about these health issues. But because it is related to a lot of health issues that we maybe, maybe we ignored it before and we just didn't know. And, and I think a lot of people who try these types of diets are so shocked 
that something that they put in their mouths can actually make them feel worse or feel better. So it's becoming more and more important. And I don't, you know, I don't want to actually emphasize it so much that people get scared of eating. <laughs> and there's that term, there's a term called orthorexia, which actually makes people get so obsessed about what not to eat that they actually become sick from not eating the, eating food or avoiding certain foods or being just too extreme about, you know, how to eat. So there's that danger too, but I think it's safe to say that you do have to watch certain types of foods and you do have to read the recipes very carefully before, you know, before you start to make it. So yes, as a food blogger, you do have to be cautious, but in this day and age of Google trying to find your blog posts and trying to find the best recipes, trying to be on the first page of Google search and things like that, people might get a little too, you know, crazy, too obsessive about labeling your recipes. But it does help, especially on Pinterest. You want to see what, um, you know, because it comes with search terms, right? It comes along with that, that whole method of trying to find the right recipe for you. So you do have to put some sort of a hashtag that says it's paleo or keto or whole 30. But I mean, as a blogger, I know it's, it seems very overwhelming, but it's really not that hard to figure out what is what. And I think it does help your readers and on social media like Pinterest to label your recipes or your blog posts as such. And if you're going to be a food blogger, I think if you want to f- be in that niche, it behooves you to learn what can be labeled as a paleo and whole 30 because those people are very specific in searching for those recipes. Yeah. And their ingredients are very specific too. I mean, there are very detailed things. I know from doing the whole 30 diet that there are things I never would have thought about prior to starting it that you can't have. And like, you have to look in salad dressings. I mean, there's Everything is very strict and very limited. If anything, it makes you read food labels. When you go grocery shopping, it does take time to learn what's allowed and what's not allowed to begin with. But then it takes time for you to see and read those fine prints on on bottles and whatnot. But I think it's, if anything, it's making us cook from whole ingredients more. And I think instead of using boxed or packaged ingredients, it's helping your readers to really cook from scratch. And I think that's the easiest way of looking at everything is to provide ingredients in your recipes that they can find in the perimeter of the grocery stores and not in the packaged aisles, right? So if you avoid those, then you don't have to read to see what's Whole30 and what's not, right? Right. So my, I mentioned my husband has a gluten sensitivity. He also found that he has a sensitivity to yeast. And it just like literally started randomly one day. It was like overnight. All of a sudden, he couldn't handle yeast and gluten. So that got me looking at labels more than ever because, I mean, it's easy to see like contains wheat, does not contain wheat. But as far as yeast, there are so many, especially sauces that you can buy at the grocery store that have yeast extract. And it took us a while to figure this out because he'd be like, I am feeling horrible today. I don't know why. And so then I look at the label and I was like, oh, sure enough, there's yeast extract. So now I look for that and it's in chicken broth. It's in almost every type of broth that you can buy at the store. So I either have to 
make our own broth or buy the really expensive broth. And then when it comes to sauces, this has actually made me create a lot of my own homemade sauces, which seems like it might be annoying, but it's actually been really good because homemade sauces are way tastier, in my opinion, than store-bought. And you don't have all of those crazy ingredients that you do with the, from the grocery store. So it's really opened up a world for me. And I have all of these sauces now on my blog that I never would have had before, like a homemade taco sauce, enchilada sauce, Alfredo sauce, and all of these things that my husband can eat that don't cost a million dollars. And it's just like opened up this new world. And some of those recipes have actually kind of gone crazy on Google. So there is something to that. And people are looking for that sort of thing. People are definitely getting more conscientious about the ingredients in foods that they buy. So like you, you didn't think twice about just grabbing a bottle of sauce or dressing. But now when they're finding out that they feel really crappy, and it takes a long time to recover from just one little meal. And they're learning that it's really not that hard to really make your own. Yes, it's, it's tedious and it's time consuming, especially if you eat a lot of dressing and a lot of sauce. So I go the lazy route. I only use oil and vinegar for my salads now. <laughs> And just maybe add a little garlic and lemon. And that's delicious. Right. But, you know, you would never think that like we, we grew up on ranch dressings and Thousand Island dressings that come in a bottle. But what's really, though, great now with labels is that you can find a salad dressings and sauces that are stamped with Whole30 or Paleo. Yes, I've seen that. Yeah, which is huge help because if you're busy and you really can't make a lot of these dressings or maybe you didn't think of making certain types, you can find them on bottles now with a little label on it, which is really helpful. That's so convenient. And you don't have to worry, oh, does it have this? Does it have that? You don't have to really search. As long as it's certified, I'm, I'm good to go. I mean, you know, I don't have to worry and I don't have to spend the time reading the ingredients list. Absolutely. And, you know, I have to say sauces aren't that time consuming to make. Once I got into it, I was like, oh my gosh, this only took five ingredients and took me 15 minutes or less. And then another one that I just thought of was taco seasoning. There are crazy ingredients in taco seasoning that are not necessary. And it takes me like two minutes at home. I have all of the ingredients in my spice cupboard and I throw together a batch of taco seasoning every so often and we use it all the time and it's safe and it's delicious. And there are so many things that we can start doing this with that aren't disrupting our entire system. Yeah, I mean, this topic of things like seasonings and, and, and dressings leads me to the thought of processed foods. I mean, people think about processed foods as like chicken nuggets, right? I mean, they think, oh, is there real chicken in it? But there are more things on the shelves that are processed that you don't think about, like taco seasoning is actually processed food. Because whenever you see words like natural spices or natural seasonings or anything that has like an ambiguous term like that is processed and you don't know what's in it. And a lot of people might react to some of those ingredients that they're not legally required to list. So think like making a mayo, you know, like a mayonnaise or ketchup or whatever might be really time consuming. And like, why would anybody want to make this from scratch when they can just grab a bottle? But they are processed. And as long as you're avoiding those types of processed foods, 
you'll be happier because they don't include some of those hidden ingredients. So when you're thinking about whole foods or paleo and you say, oh my God, it's so hard. How do you know what to avoid? What to... The simplest way is to just avoid all those quote unquote processed foods. And, you know, you're eating more than half of the food groups that um, that you're supposed to eat or avoid, so to speak. Because, you know, American food, the, the standard American diet has so much of these processed ingredients that even if you just avoid that, you're off to a good start. And it's like you said, it's really easy to make at home. So, oh, it is. Yeah, you know what's in it. And you know that you're not going to react to it like like your husband. Right. And I think this makes blogging so much easier because you can have stuff on hand. You can always freeze things. And it kind of allows room for being more indulgent in other areas. Because if I know exactly what's going into a sauce, then I don't feel quite as bad making a pan of comforting enchiladas because it's like my sauce. It's not some weird. And I love that you said that natural can really mean anything because every time I see natural, I'm like, huh, wonder what that means. And I, I always replace natural with mystery, like wonder what is actually in there. What does natural mean? Oh, we can have a whole episode just on reading labels. Oh, because, I'm sure. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I just saw a package of chicken breast that says natural. <laughs> I'm like, really? What does that mean exactly? Yeah, well, I, I've never had unnatural chicken <laughs> breast. Yeah. <you> know? exactly. <laughs> so they really try to get consumers to really think that, oh, okay, so it says natural, so it's, it's supposed to be good for me. But that's not true. Natural is such a safe word with a safe connotation, right? I have a son who is very, very literal. So the word natural for him means something really good. So every time he sees like a juice or, you know, something with the word natural and I'm like, no, there's too much sugar or whatever in it. He's like, but mom, it's natural. Like, oh. <laughs> Well, that's how they get you. Like even my husband, he'll come home with like, you know, boxes of something from Costco. And I said, why'd you buy so many? He goes, well, it's organic. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, not everything organic is good for you. Like, so we're going to go talk about keto now. And keto is really about reducing carbs, okay? So in addition to Whole30 and paleo, since our family is paleo, we don't eat a lot of grains. So going into keto was really, it wasn't too hard because keto also avoids grains because it's high in carbs. So keto is mostly about fats and proteins, okay? So 75% of your diet should be fat, 20% should be protein, and 5% of your diet should be carbs, Everything has carbs, even vegetables. So it doesn't matter whether you're eating organic or not organic. If your carb content for the day is above 5%, then you're not going keto. You know what I mean? So, you know, boxes of fruits of, let's say, bananas and apples. Yes, that's good for you. But if it's going above 5% of your daily carb content, then you're not doing keto. So my husband would... So, wow, but these are fruits. You should have a lot of, uh, yes, but only fruits you're allowed on keto is berries, like strawberries, blueberries, raspberries. Everything else is not allowed because they all have high carb content. For somebody who is on paleo, that's okay. You can have bananas, you can have apples because you're not counting carbs or calories. But if you're on keto, you have to watch your carbs. So we would go back and forth about, you know, but this is organic. No. I mean, organic for one person is good, but not if you're on keto. So it really depends on who you're talking about. 
That's why it's very individual and you got to watch what, what your goal is basically. And it, you know, talking about weight loss and keto, I hate to really put any of these diet styles relating to weight loss. I know a lot of people go on whole 30 or paleo or on keto because of weight loss. And yes, I agree. Obesity is a huge problem. However, you don't go on paleo or whole 30 for that reason alone. That's a added surprise, so to speak, because I know a lot of people start on these diets and all of a sudden they're losing weight and they're very delighted and I'm really happy for them. However, that's not the end game and that's not the end goal. So people get disappointed when they're eating a ton of food that's allowed on Whole30 and Paleo and they're not losing weight like they thought they were going to, they get disappointed. And I have news for them. That's not the goal. If you're going on keto because you want to lose weight, yes, one of the major benefits of going on keto is weight loss. And I, I know a ton of people who lost weight on keto, and that's that's great. Keto originally was actually designed for patients with epilepsy who had seizures and it's been used for decades on that. And then they found out, oh, wow, this really helps with weight loss. <laughs> Why? Because you're cutting your carb, right? So a lot of people are going on keto, but it's not the type of diet that's going to be sustainable long-term. Maybe it'll change your lifestyle and your eating style and you no longer crave carbs because you've gone through months of being on low carb on this diet. So you completely changed your lifestyle. That's great. But it's not something that you want to stay on with that goal. So you have to see why you're on these diets and see, you know, what your goal is. And every diet really is different. Like you said, some you do it for weight loss, some you do it not and for other benefits. Like I think most of these diets, we do it just to feel better and to sleep better and to, you know, feel healthier. But I think that awareness about food content is starting to open up food bloggers eyes and just make them more aware of what they're eating and then what they're recommending their readers eat too. And it's also opening up opportunities for us to try new things and offer new things. Like I said about the sauces and the taco seasoning. And so even if we're not catering specifically to people who have allergies and sensitivities, like I don't, I don't cater to those people, but I still do offer recipes that are gluten-free and I offer some Whole30 recipes. So I think that even if a blogger listening is not a specific diet food blogger with a specific trend that they're following, that they can still dabble in it and add value to the world. Absolutely. Because I think uh, more and more people are looking for specific kinds of recipes. And I think if you niche down to those types of diet styles, like my blog is about paleo and allergy friendly, but even if you have a broader food blog, but if you label certain recipes as those, you may get those readers, let's say from Pinterest or from social media, and they may stick around to see what they can cook for other family members who are not on strict diets. So you're definitely introducing your site to those people who have those specific needs. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
Yeah, you're opening up the doors for a new audience. And when I started labeling some of my recipes as Whole30, I got a whole new slew of people coming in that had never been to my site before because I had never previously posted anything like that. But I have a handful of Whole30 recipes that people love. So like almond butter banana cookies, because on Whole30, you cannot eat sugar. And it's really hard because for me, I have a sweet tooth. When I was on it, I was like, I need something sweet. So I created a few recipes like that, that kind of, you know. And I'm sure your regular readers would probably think like, wow, I didn't think, you know, I need things. Like when when you just tell me that the title, I wouldn't think that that's Whole30 because it just, all the ingredients sound delicious, right? So I'm sure your readers- I know, exactly. (laughs) They were surprised. So if you type in like, whole 30 desserts into Google. I think my recipes, that recipe still comes up on the first page. That's great. People love it. And it's like, yeah, like you said, it's not just whole 30 lovers or followers. It's everybody. They're like, oh, that's a really healthy way to um, make healthy snacks. I mean, you don't yeah. even think about the word healthy. You just think that it's a great combination of flavors that you never think to, you know, gather to make a, a recipe. And, and same thing with like things like mayo. I never liked like tuna fish or chicken salads or, you know, like egg salads because loaded with mayo. <laughs> yeah. Well, loaded with bottled mayo that I never liked. So then I created my mayonnaise recipe, which is really simple, by the way, it only takes like two minutes. And when I made those salads with the mayo that I made at home, it was nothing like I ever tasted before. I'm not saying that I'm a you know great cook or recipe. <laughs> you know, my recipe is so special. But what I'm saying is that people who hated those types of foods growing up, if you use homemade mayo, let's say, they may find out that they love it. Mm, and it's they so might, true. Right? They may think, oh my gosh, my mom's chicken salad or egg salad was horrible. I never liked it. But if they try it with your homemade mayonnaise recipe, it might change their world. You know, So I think it gives the food bloggers more repertoire of recipes that they can develop. So if you have recipes for, let's say, homemade ketchup, homemade mayonnaise, your readers might think, I never knew you can actually make these at home, <laughs> you know, because... They think that they can just, they have to just buy it, but it just gives you more options to, to write more recipes. It's great content. So true. And there's a misconception that we talked about this earlier, but that it's just really difficult to do a lot of those homemade recipes. And it's really not. Once you dive into it, you will find that it's really very easy. And I found that I can rank pretty quickly, highly on Google for making those things because not a ton of people are doing that. We might have uh, spilled our secret here. Cat's, cat's out of the bag and now I know. Darn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I put a taco sauce up like in, I want to say June and it went crazy. It's, I think it's still on page one. Like I looked at my Google console a couple months ago and I was like, that is so interesting. Taco sauce, really? Well, Mexican food is really hot. I mean, like not hot, but I mean, you know what I mean? It's very popular. (laughs) So yeah, it's very popular, you know, Uh, homemade enchilada recipe. I mean, enchilada sauce recipe. So it makes sense. But I think that people get scared of being you know, niche, like, oh, something's like as a food blogger anyway, like I'm not paleo or I'm not whole 30, like, you know, that's for people with illnesses, but not true. I mean, if you really want to just have different types of content that'll open up doors to different crowd of 
readers, so to speak, your audience. If you want to expand your audience, you may want to dabble on some of these diet-specific recipes. I completely agree. I've seen such success with it, just with those few that I put out there. And there is definitely value in just scoping it out and seeing what if someone loves your whole 30 recipes that you put out or whatever diet you're putting out, do more of it if you want. And that might encourage you too to be healthier as well. So low carbon keto is big. I mean, it's still going on very strong. It is. And I was going to mention this too, that those diets are not going anywhere. It doesn't seem like they're going anywhere anytime soon. So speaking about keto and paleo and Whole30, people have been doing these for years and it's just getting more and more trendy, it seems. I just like to see more of these non-processed whole ingredient recipes that will actually make people healthier. I mean, I think we're doing a great service to to people if we can offer these options. And that's why I, I, I mean, I was writing recipes on my blog, but I just felt like I was limited to my readers. That's why I decided to, you know, write cookbooks this way. It spreads out like further out than just my readers, if that makes sense. So that's, that's why I decided to do it. And I think more we share, I think uh, we're helping people and that's how I look at it. So I love that. I think this is such a valuable topic I like the viewpoint you have because you are in this world and all of this information can really benefit food bloggers, I think, from a couple different standpoints. So I like that we kind of covered how it can affect us positively and then also how it can change our viewpoint so that we can help our audience more too. So I think this has been really great. Karen, do you have anything else that we missed discussing that you'd like to mention before we say goodbye? Well, like I mentioned that I did publish uh, cookbooks on this topic, and I also like to use appliances that really help people to, you know, make cooking easier in their kitchens. So I've been using Instant Pot for four years now. So I published two cookbooks using Instant Pot. One is Keto. Uh, I did that last year. And then I have a new one coming out pretty soon this month, uh, January 14th in using actually frozen proteins to cook in the Instant Pot. And it's also paleo. So you don't have to defrost your meat. You just take it out of the freezer and you cook it in the Instant Pot. So those were the two cookbooks using Instant Pot. And then I had a paleo cookbook using Air Fryer that was published in 2018. All the years kind of of merged together because I've been crazy writing cookbooks for the last two years. But, um, you know, anything you can do to really help people cook better and healthier meals in their kitchen at a shorter time and also to have fun in the kitchen, the better. So I have all those three cookbooks. You can probably put it in the show notes, but really cooking should be fun. Yeah. Yes, it should be. We should be enjoying that. We're here because we love to cook. So try not to let go of that. And I will put all of your cookbooks in your show notes. People can find those at eatblogtalk.com forward slash Karen Lee. And Karen, I like to ask my guests if they have a favorite quote or words of inspiration beyond what you've already mentioned for food bloggers. Do you have anything else for us? Well, being that my food blog is very specific to certain diets, and I found out earlier on that the food really is helpful and it can be poison to some people, but it can be really helpful to your health. My favorite quote actually is from Hippocrates. He says uh, thousands and thousands of years ago, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. 
that has been true to my life and my my children's life. But I think if you think about that, I think your recipes that you develop for your blog can really help a lot of people. So I love that quote. Yeah, I've not had anyone use that quote yet. I love it. What a fitting quote for our talk too. So thank you, Karen, for being here. I know that this is going to be really valuable information for food bloggers. So I just really appreciate your time today. Thanks for inviting me. It was really fun talking to you, Megan. It was fun. So let's wrap up by telling my listeners the best place they can find you online. Um, I am Dr. Karen Nestle all over on my website and as well as all the social media. It's spelled D-R-K-A-R-E-N-S-L-E-E. So that handle basically is everywhere. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again, Karen, for being here. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.